We're slamming on some gnar biffs. It's a double feature of BMX Bandits and Rad today on Cinema Oblivia. Welcome to Cinema Oblivia, your podcast for discussions on outdated, out of fashion, out of style, forgotten, and unremembered films. I'm your host, James Eldred. And joining me today for our first ever double feature podcast presentation is Eric Peppel. Eric, why don't you tell some people about yourself? I know Eric way back from college days. But what how, how what what are you up to? How you been? Uh, I've been good. I've I've been good. I'm excited to to be here today and to and to talk with you about Rad and and BMX Bandits and and to be here for the first double feature, and and yeah, man, I, I, I what since ninety seven ninety eight we've we've the last time or, we I saw you in person was that fucked up concert. Yes, it was that, and that's yes. been and that's been a long time. So so it's yeah, good to to be back here. But yeah, I'm I'm currently. Uh, I'm I'm living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm working at the Wexner Center for the Arts um, on Ohio State University's campus. Big museum, film presenter, performing arts presenter. Um, you can check it out at wexarts.org to see all that's happening over there. And and um, yeah, good to be here. Yeah, yeah it's a cool. It, it's it's definitely the kind of place that if I you know lived in the same country, I'd go to. Uh, but I don't, so I can't. But. Uh, I wanted Eric on here. Eric is one of the first like hardcore film geeks I have met my entire life. And uh, remember when we went to go see "Dude Was My Car" and "Requiem for a Dream" in the same day? Oh yeah, that that was yeah. like, that's still like a, a peak double feature. Um, I, I yeah. forget which order we watched them in. We, but, we um, saw it in the wrong order. We saw "Dude yeah. Was My Car" first, and then we saw "Requiem for a Dream," <laughs> and then we had to drive home in a snowstorm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's the perfect capper for that double feature. It may it may as well end in the in the in the bleak of a northwestern Ohio winter. I have never seen oh I reviewed Dude was my car on DVD, but I've never seen Requiem for a Dream ever again and I never want to. So that uh, that seems like a good policy. I actually saw it once more after that because I, I knew someone who wanted to see it, so I watched it and I, I haven't watched it since. And I, I feel like that's that's one of those movies where it's like that is a genuinely good piece of work. I'm I am all stocked up. <laughs> I don't think it lends itself well for reviewings, but today we have two films. Not to, to pivot away from Requiem from a Dream to something completely different. Uh, we got uh, two movies that I think, even though I don't like one of them, they very much lend themselves to um, repeated viewings. We're talking today about two BMX movies. We got BMX Bandits from 1983 and Rad from 1986. Now, when I sent you my list of movies I wanted to talk about, you kind of hemmed and hawed over a lot of them, but you eventually picked this one. Why is that? Uh, yeah, I did. I did hem and haw. Hemming and, hemming and hawing is is my natural state, but part part of the hemming and part of the hawing was 
um, one, the, the list that you put together was in, it really was just a bounty of, of riches. It was just like, I could not make up my mind. Um, so <laughs> listeners for future episodes are like really in, in for a treat. Cause you've, you've really pulled together some great titles and, and that was, you. That, that, that was one of the things that was, you know, causing the ham and the haw was just sort of picking, picking the one. And I, I really came to this one or, or this, this double feature, um, because one, I do genuinely like BMX bandits. Um, I think it's a super fun movie. And, and two, I also genuinely like rad, but I also objectively know <laughs> that, that I would not call rad a good movie, but, but rad is, is one of those things where it's, it was so so ubiquitous in in '86 mm-hmm. um, on on cable and on VHS. Like I, I feel like I've I've seen it a hundred times. Like that that summer and the and the summers after and um, and then just by by virtue of of when it was released in the mid '80s, it was brushing up against sort of you know pre. Um, obviously well before the the pre-internet era when you could start to find anything on on torrents or on streams or that kind of thing um but but also before dvd and and before everything started getting reissued so it was this movie that i feel like everyone kind of knew or a lot of people knew or remembered um the poster or the box in the video store yeah yet for a weird period just like disappeared unless you were like a hardcore vhs collector yeah, we had it at my dad's video store. I remember uh, I never saw the movie when it first came out, but I remember the box very vividly, oh, and yeah. I even remember the description on the back because in the on the back of the box, the key conflict of the film is advertised as the SAT test thing. Yeah, <laughs> and even as a kid, I'm like, well, that's just just fucking take it a different day. Like I, <laughs> you know, it, it didn't, it didn't. I didn't understand that. But were you a big? Were you big into bikes when you were a little kid? Um, I was not, I, I, I was not, I, I liked, um, skateboards though. I, I would not okay. say I was in any way like skateboarding, things like that. I would not say it was in any way, um, you know, proficient <laughs> at either of those. Um, you know, I, I had a bike, I had a, I had a BMX bike. I think it was called the striker. If, if I remember correctly <laughs> from, from Huffy, um, <laughs> which, which was pretty awesome. Uh, but, but I was in no means like I was, I was too much of a, of a coward as, as someone whose natural yeah. state is hemming and hawing stunt tricks and, and riding down dirt bikes and chasing people was, was not my forte, but, but I always loved like watching it and, you know, like riding around and, and, and doing yeah. dumb shit in a safe way rather than, you know, some of the, the, the crazier stunts and, and gags that you, you see in the film. Yeah, it's funny. Like, it's funny because I'm the least qualified person to talk about these films because I don't know if you can remember, but I can't ride a bike. When I was two years old, I had a spiral fracture on my on my leg from the knee to the hip. And I still walk fun a little bit strange. And I just I could never think I could never do a bike. So yeah. I could have probably learned it when I was older. But by then, but by then, I was too embarrassed to, like, you know, be the, you know, 12 year old kid with training wheels. So <laughs> Yeah, I never learned how to ride a bike, but one of the funny things was is like all my friends had bikes, of course, and my brother did, and like almost everyone I knew broke something riding a bicycle. Like 
my brother broke his collarbone because he had a habit of riding his bicycle while looking behind him. <laughs> and <laughs> that's a classic move. Uh, that's uh... and he ran it. He 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 turned a corner and slammed into a kid who just got his driver's license like that day. Oof. And broke his collarbone. Uh, he had to. My brother had to quit breakdancing because of it. I mean, that's a very eighties. The mo- here's an eighties sentence. My brother had to quit breakdancing because he hurt himself on his BMX bike. I, I was gonna say, like that is if if um, if Rad had been a bigger box office success, that could have been the 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 cross uniting the Rad cinematic universe with the break into Electric Boogaloo cinematic universe. And uh, I wish had a hell and of like, a crossover. My best friend as a kid, he he broke one. He broke something on his bike, and I remember another time he was leaving his driveway, and his bike just flipped over, and he landed on his fucking chin, and he had to get stitches. Like, I bikes as a kid terrified me. I I had a scooter, like a like a not, like a, not, not a motorized scooter, like a little like a, like a razor type scooter back in the eighties, and that was the closest I ever had to any kind of wheeled transportation. I was just too much of a klutz. But, yeah, yeah. BMX bikes were huge. Huge. I mean, the bikes themselves are tiny, but the <laughs> the the culture was huge. Yeah, and like I guess that started in the seventies. Yeah, which which yeah. when I was getting like prepping for the show, you know, I, I did I did some research and and like I was actually really surprised because the BM, BMX bikes are so tied to the eighties, um, both mm-hmm. visually as a pop culture artifact and obviously because of the the films here. But but to like I had no idea that it really like was a thing or that much of a thing in the seventies and 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 it turns out it, it's like it was a, a pretty long rollout until it hit the hit its hit its huge stride in the early to mid eighties. Um, yeah, because it, yeah, it started in the early seventies in California, like as a response to like motocross motorcycles, like and kids couldn't do that, so they did it on their bikes. And then there was that movie. There's a documentary called On Any, On Any Sunday, which I have not seen. Uh, I've heard a lot about it before, and apparently it has some BMX scenes in it, and that was like the first like any kind of national exposure to BMX. And I, I imagine it just kind of grew slowly from there and probably exploded in the early 80s. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then naturally it seems like it has maybe a parallel track with um... – you know, sort of the 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 move and the shift to the suburbs in the in the early eighties, yeah. where you know kids, um, you, you kids looking for adventure, <laughs> uh, kind of thing, where um, you you bring this thing, um, sort of this thing associated with with um, you know stunts or some sort of um, or or more you know, California skateboard punk culture kind of thing and, Mm -hmm. and bring it into the burbs. Um, and then it really starts to, to spread out in a, in a different, more mainstream way. And then it shows up in ET, which, which really starts to feel like, like I, I have no evidence beyond my own, um, sort of, of, of gut on this, but it does seem like when they show up in the biggest movie in the universe at that point, that it um, really does become a thing thing. I mean, ET made Reese's pieces huge. I would yeah. imagine it had to help BMX bikes too. Yeah. It's, it seems like yeah. a, a rising 
tide of et lifts all yes. associated pop culture boats so yes yes <laughs> um ev- everything along with that and 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 just sort of you know again tied with the suburbs et is such a film rooted in, oh, in yeah. that environment and and trying to escape from that environment um in in varying ways that that it would follow um that right after that you know these these bikes become more available more cost effective um or, or, or more or, or more affordable and and less of a boutique kind of thing and then um and then you have a trend yeah and when you get a trend you you know a trend can be a fad and when you get a fad you inevitably get movies based on a fad and one of my favorite topics to talk about in in on this podcast on movies based on fads Mm -hmm. i i really want to dive head more into that you get skateboarding movies like gleaming the cube oh yes or or even before that there's like thrashing with james with brolin i actually i watched thrashing again um just as part of my my background research for that and and thrashing is is genuinely fun um yeah i do want to see i only i saw that when it came out i haven't seen it since since i've been like you know eight I would love to watch it again. The the skateboard footage is is really well shot, and uh, and there's uh, a couple movies. There's, there's a couple with Stacy Peralta back in the seventies that uh, not just documentaries, but like act like one called Freewheeling, I think. Oh, okay. And there's that movie that's just called Skateboarding with Leaf Garrett. Yeah, you know, it, you, a, a good sign of a movie being made in the late seventies is if it stars Leaf Garrett. Yeah, uh, Leaf, <laughs> Leaf Garrett. Leaf Garrett is in a movie about foosball. Like, what movie is that? I forgot the name of it, but I saw it on Amazon Prime, but it was like obviously a VHS tape rip, so I couldn't stand it. But Oingo Boingo performs in it. Like it's what? like Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like if if ever a better copy comes along, I'll love to watch it. But it was almost unwatchable with the quality it has on Amazon. I'll I'll look it up later and tell you. But yeah, like, you know, fad movies are fascinating and like you get like there's like uh Perfect, the aerobics movie with yeah. with uh Jamie Lee Curtis and John Travolta. Or like the La Bamba movies that came out in the nineties. Like I love fad movies because they really preserve what it was like to be in a specific area because they become the most dated films, like without question. Exactly. And and they become dated almost immediately. Like like there's almost there's almost no um freshness date on it. it it is like as you leave the theater they're already aging <laughs> rapidly yeah it's like breaking breaking was obsolete by 88 like yeah. there's no there's no there's no yeah it, it, they expire quick but so like i think from what I, there are a lot of movies with bmx in them you know like et and any explorers i imagine monster squad you know, any 80s kids movie is going to have BMX in it. But there were only two movies, from what I could tell, that are explicitly about BMX. Yeah. And th- those are BMX Bandits and Rad. And BMX Bandits came first. It was 83. Rad followed in 86. And, you know, I have to say that I think the Australians got it right first. And mm-hmm. BMX Bandits is the right way to do a fad movie. And Rad is the wrong way. <laughs> Uh, because like BMX Bandits was made was not made to be a BMX movie. Yeah, it was made to be about a bunch of kids, and then the, one of the producers was like, "Hey, you know what's popular? These bikes. So make, make it about bikes and put BMX in the title." 
and and make sure I, th- I think it was the writer or watch an interview with the writer where he's like, yeah. And then the process became, um, and, th- and this is what I love about, you know, partially fad movies and, and B movies is sort of the, the way they then get built where then it's like, well, all right, you already have this script or you have this idea or this pitch, put some bikes in it. And then the writer takes, and then it's like, all right, well then we have to have alliteration in the title because it becomes more memorable. And then it becomes this, like sort of stacking mechanism of, of, of getting the right things in there. But I think you're absolutely correct about mm-hmm. the source material for this being non BMX at first, that, that gives yeah. it sort of a, 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 a timeliness to it or, 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 or the, the thing about it that, that sort of helps it hold up over the years and still keeps it um, a bit more fresh and, and, and entertaining um, is, is that yeah. the core idea wasn't 1000% rooted in like, all right, all right, boys, we got, <laughs> we got a year to get this. Let's yeah. catch in real quick <laughs> and crank it out. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure they cranked it out pretty quick, but it was like, like that was not the, the inspiration was not, let's just make this fast because yeah. BMX, you know? And I think BMX band bandits does benefit by having uh, at the time, a fantastic director who I think was still, pretty much at the top of his game uh the wonderful brian trenchard smith yes yes great great uh, b-movie director i assume you know a lot about him so why don't you tell people about about uh trenchard smith um so he you know he, australian filmmaker um mm-hmm. earned earned his bones in the in the 70s early 80s um doing you know sort of leading the charge with osploitation Oz, films and um, yes. one of them being the, the absolutely amazing stunt rock, which oh, if oh. Um, if folks have not seen that who are listening to this, um, that is that is just some essential viewing on on all levels. <laughs> um, I, I always yeah, stunt rock is not a good movie, but it's a great movie, oh, and it, you can get stunt rock like there's a there's a Blu-ray for probably Brian Trichard Smith, like objectively best film, The Man from Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, and as a bonus feature, it just has stunt rock. Like, the entire film, I think <laughs> it's an SD. It might be an HD, but it doesn't matter that much. And with the commentary tracks from the original DVD. So it's basically, you get that entire movie. And you also get a great movie called Death Cheaters. Uh, Death Cheaters which is, is another movie star- with the star of stunt rock, Grant Page. Grant Page is a stuntman. And... Death Cheaters is a wonderfully stupid film that is so obviously designed just around stunt work. Because yeah. Grant Page was an amazing stuntman, and Brian Trenchard Smith was a stunt-focused director, I think. One thing that he and the director of Rad have in common. And, like, Death Cheaters is just so stupid. The, the working title of Death Cheaters was Cunning Stunts, which... <laughs> brazen and but yeah brian trenchard smith like um there's a fantastic documentary uh not quite hollywood have, have you seen that i have of course yes and that's how i was exposed to brian trenchard smith and uh his wonderful work and i fell head in although i found out much later i did watch one of his ki- movies when i was a kid have you ever seen the quest Oh yes, yes. With is that Henry Thomas, correct? That's Henry Thomas. It's in in other countries. It's called Frog Dreaming. In America, it was called The Quest, and that's a Australian movie with Henry Thomas. For some reason, that's a fun kids movie. It's it's a little strange, like most Brian Trenchard Smith films, but it's 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 worth watching, and it, you can find that pretty easily these days. I recommend that one. 
I would say anything he's made in the past, I don't know, 30 years, maybe skip. Yeah, it gets it gets a bit more hit or miss. Um, I mean, he made one of the recently, which which I watched out of a a mad sense of of completion and, and curiosity. He made one of these like and John Cusack has has been sort of churning out these um direct to to streaming titles um usually really low budget oh. action films where he like shows up clearly there for like a one day shoot and and getting mm. a huge check um but but Trenchard Smith d- directed one of those drive hard but um, oh yeah you, that one yeah you can, you can still see kind of you know you know he still goes about it like with that sort of energetic B movie spirit, which, which I always appreciate. And um, yeah, af- after his sort of seventies, eighties heyday, it does get a little more hit or miss. Although I, I did yeah. watch, um, he did do Leprechaun three and, um, and four and, f- and four in space. Um, but, <laughs> but, but three, especially like talking about these, these directors who are like B movie lifers and, and who just like mm-hmm. know how to get it done. There, there's just like an efficiency to it that you, you probably wouldn't get with, with um, maybe a more, you know, gun for hire kind of thing. It's, it's um, shows clearly his, his signs of, of his, his strength with like working with limited means, limited resources. Um, and, and also yeah. being such a stunt focused director as like, he, he actually knows where to put the camera when you're watching a stunt and, and yeah. knowing like, it's better to watch these things play out in, in longer shots or, or medium, like well-composed mm-hmm. medium shots. And yeah, yeah, very, very much makes, makes a, a huge difference, especially with something like BMX bandits. And, um, yeah, totally. He also did a straight to video Porky sequel. Oh, I didn't know uh, that. Now, now th- that's yeah. interesting. What what one was well, that? Well, that's one of those movies where it was made. It was like the Fantastic Four movie that came out in the ni- that didn't come out in the nineties. It was made strictly to hold the right to keep the rights to a movie. Oh, got so, it. Like, yeah, it's called Pimpin Pee Wee. Pimpin Pee Wee, because Pee Wee is the main character from Porky. I haven't seen man Porky's comes up way too much on this podcast, but uh. I haven't seen Porky's that since it came out. I don't think I ever have seen the whole thing. I don't want to, but yeah, that that movie is was just made to fulfill a to fulfill a con- contractual obligation to keep the rights to a movie. I imagine it's very bad. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to check it out. If you want to take the take the hit and watch Pimp and Peewee, Pimp and Peewee, go ahead. He also did that 9/11 TV movie <laughs> in 2003, <laughs> which is strange. He did Omega Code Two. Yeah, uh, you gotta you he, gotta he, do the work. <laughs> you gotta eat. Like he, gotta he eat. did some episodes of Silk Stockings, you know. Like so, you know, he's he's a workman director, but he makes great. He 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 has made great films. Not much about the writers on this movie. They didn't do much, really. I think the only other person from the crew who's of note is John Seal. That's a cinematographer. He did Death Cheaters with Smith, and then he moved to Hollywood and he did Witness, The Hitcher, Stakeout. Children of a Lesser God, Gorillas in the Mist, Rain Man. He won an Oscar for English Patient. So we got some Oscar caliber talent on this film. And, and didn't he do, he did Fury Road too, right? He yes, did, he did. He went back yeah. to Australia and did Fury Road because every Australian alive was in that movie. Was in yeah. that movie. <laughs> Required by law. Yeah, no, this this thing has, you know, it, it does have, have um, you know, a, a lot of talent behind there. Um, that, that John Seals career is 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 really something oh sorry especially when you you cap it with um uh, mad max fury road like that is totally pretty unparalleled on a lot of levels um yeah this movie is gorgeous like it's just 
it's super idealized. It's like both these movies, I think one of the reasons why these movies are so nostalgic for a lot of people is like most of what you think about when people think of the 80s, especially if they weren't alive, they get a vision in their head that's not accurate because yeah. of stuff like Synthwave and like intentional pasties of, of 80s culture. You know what you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but these movies fit the bill, man, because they're both like especially BMX Bandits is super bright colors, super keyboard score just day glow everything everything's bright it, it just it feels like the happiest 80s thing ever made right and, i mean it's awesome and and the you know the the kids in it are actually close to the ages that they're playing which is also a thing that doesn't happen that often so they still have that sort of you know young young kid enthusiasm and uh Mm -hmm. it um yeah that's that's a really great point is is that you know the the 80s have become such an aesthetic um over over the years that that i people do have this skewed idea of what it actually looked like and and then something like bmx bandits and and rad um it, it is down to the letter obviously not just because they were filmed during that time, which certainly contributes to it. But it um, par- partially, I think, being so fad-based meant mm-hmm. that, you know, they're, they're pretty mindful about making sure things look a certain way, signifiers signify a certain way, and um, you you get these these time capsules that, that really put you there. Another another time capsule of this film is the cast. Well, yes. particularly one person in the cast. There are three leads for this film. There's two boys. Nobody cares about them. Like there's, <laughs> I mean, I try. I'm not trying to be mean about the actors, but there's what the actor who plays PJ. He has a great name, Angelo D'Angelo. Yeah. Like like I mean, God. And then Goose is James Lugton. Lug- and like. They did some small stuff afterwards. What uh, James Lugton is apparently a journalist, according to the, uh, Brian Trenton Smith. And the bad guys have been in some stuff. Like the boss was in Quartermass in the Pit, and uh, the two the two henchmen. One of them is in Mad Max. One of them is in Razorback, which is an awesome movie. Yes, yes. Uh, but the you know the 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 girl in the movie, that's Nicole Kidman. <laughs> yeah, uh, just a just a just a little star called Nicole Kidman. Um, her this is her very very first film. Um, yes, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah, and 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 you know, right out of the gate, um, she you know obviously has a star quality and is like genuinely giving a performance in this and and kind of going above and beyond. Um, I, I do think the two guys are are actually really a lot of fun in it too, but oh, it yeah, is. they're great. They're great actors. Yeah. For uh, the fourth, they have to do. Yeah. But, but it is, it's, it's like one of those things, like when you watch, you know, a, a, a film that's a fad or a B movie and, and you see someone enter the screen who is so clearly a star and like, a, you know, <laughs> operating maybe at a different, a different kind of level. Um, is is very much the case here. It's 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 a just a great fun performance, and yeah, it's it's like watching Julia Roberts in Satisfaction. Yeah, like, yeah, it's you, like you know, 
is yeah you yeah you don't you don't belong here let's let's take you and put you someplace good and uh Trenton Smith Brian Trenton Smith knew that like he cast he was he was the one who like I don't know how much of truth there is to this but the way he point paints it now is like this is him like he saw her he wanted her in the movie yeah he reframed shots to make her be the center cuz she doesn't she originally didn't have much to do he he re, he didn't rewrite the script but he reworked how the movie was shot to focus on her and what's really funny is see her her ankle early on in filming and so in a lot of the bike shots it's not her and you can if you watch it on blu-ray you can tell it's a dude <laughs> Uh, which is kind of funny. Somebody just sent me a link right before recording. The the man who was her double was also a double for the other boys, and he was a <laughs> cop. And he he passed away from a stroke a few years ago, unfortunately. Oh. But there was a big uh, there was a big news article about how his family was um, selling some of his stuff online, and somebody came and stole his fucking bicycle. What? Like, yeah, it wasn't the bike from BMX Bandits, obviously, but he was yeah. he was like a like a big time cyclist. And so like his name was um, Robbie Morton. He was a stunt rider when he was a kid. And then he became a cop when he was uh, a little bit older than that. But yeah, his, 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 he must've been a big BMX teenager when he was a teen. So if you, if you look during, especially the very first scene when Nicole Kidman's on her bike, if you pause it, it's like, yeah, that's a dude. <laughs> <laughs> pretty funny oh, i was gonna say and, and that guy what a what a story you have for the rest of your life like i can just see like sitting at the bar it's like yeah it was nicole kidman's stunt double in uh in, in bmx bandits um that's like that's the best like that's uh yeah that's pretty great and but like after the movie was done brian trenchard smith showed an early cut to a disney channel executive who was working on a show called five mile creek in australia because of that she got the role in that. And Brian Trenchard Smith got the director. Uh, for BMX first BMX Bandits' first screening, he made sure that some of the biggest agents in Australia were there. Immediately after the screening, she got signed. Huh. So and she was in dead calm, what, six years later? Yeah. Which is so, like, a time jump that's kind of Yeah, like that's that's no time at all. And yeah, um, yeah. And good, you know, he, 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 he totally like, he was telling the producers were like, she's fine. And he's like, no, 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 no. You have to focus the movie on her. And like, good on Brian Trenton Smith. He called that. Yes, and, he did. Uh, that's, that's quite appa- all too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently Nicole Kidman's kids love this movie. <laughs> also the, I found an interview from 2017 where her kids who were then six and nine, thought that BMX Bandits was her best film. <laughs> and she says, there's a quote in the article, BMX Bandits is my shining moment. Aw. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so, I, well, I, I really appreciate, though, that she doesn't, like, that it sounds like she doesn't try to pretend that it never happened, which which yeah, a lot of good. folks do when, when they, yeah. when they a, a achieve a level of stardom like that, is to kind of forget about the, the B-movie or the lower budget kind of thing where they cut their teeth. Um, yeah, and it's also, I think it helps. It's a good movie. Like, yeah. you know, she was almost chosen to be the female lead in Howling 3. Okay. Yeah, which is a good movie, but that's not one maybe doesn't 
doesn't have the same. You know, I don't know. I I like Howling Three. It's the only good Howling sequel. Uh, yeah. It's about marsupial werewolves. You should watch that movie. But like, if I was a, a legitimate actress, I probably wouldn't want to, you know, hang my hat on Howling Three. Yeah. <laughs> just, just saying. But uh, they shot the movie in Sydney. It's a lot of great shots of uh, early '80s Australia. You know, I have Australian friends here in Japan who like this movie as as kind of like a time capsule for what that area looked like. You know, and uh, shot really cheap, about a million dollars, and apparently it went on to do quite well in Australia, mm-hmm. and also in the UK. And he says Japan, but I live in Japan, and usually, if a movie did well in Japan, it has a Japanese Wikipedia page and it has a Japanese disc. I can't find any of that. Um, I'm not calling him a liar, <laughs> but. <laughs> It's definitely it's not Streets of Fire. It, it's not the kind of movie that was b- bombed everywhere else and did really well here. I'm sure it played here and maybe it did good for a, a low budget Australian movie, but I don't know. But it barely played in America, and do you know why? I do not know why. Well, it was bought by a company called well, it was leased by a company called Cornwell Cornworld Productions. They're owned by the Osmonds, <laughs> and yeah, they weren't a big company. It, it didn't play well. I actually looked up uh, in old newspapers to try to find when it played. So it played in, I could the earliest I could find it was it played in Spokane, Washington, Thanksgiving weekend, 1984. <laughs> and then you would occasionally see it in other newspapers. I saw it in Oklahoma City in February of 85, in Texas, El Paso, 85, June. It played Spokane again in December of 85, but was already on HBO. In December of '85, Spokane twice within the span of two years. That's um, maybe somebody in Spokane really fucking liked it. Yeah, I was gonna say it's like a big uh, Australian BMX enthusiast in Spokane. If you're out there listening, guy, guy or or lady in in Spokane, (laughs) Washington, who booked BMX bandits within two years, um, give give James a call. Please do. And but like from what I could tell, BMX bandits was on TV a lot. At six, at six o'clock in the morning, uh, <laughs> so I imagine if anybody saw it, and if any American saw it in the eighties or nineties, that's where they saw it. It didn't, from what I could tell, it didn't get released on VHS until nineteen ninety, and then it was re-released on VHS by a crap bootleg label, and they retitled the movie Shortwave, <laughs> and put a decept- a photo of an older Nicole Kibben on the cover, and the tagline was caught between the cops and the crooks which is technically true <laughs> <laughs> but sounds but, far more salacious when you know it's a, a movie about a, a, a couple of teens uh yeah. <laughs> facing off yeah, against so what is yeah so what is bmx bandits actually about other than just bmx it's it's also about walkie talkies which also makes yeah. it like weirdly fad oriented as well um because i i can't imagine another sort of moment in in pop cultural history where like walkie talkies would be a key plot point. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's about a, a group of, of criminals who show up with their pig masks on uh, um, yes. uh, like sort of a pre point break kind of thing. And, yeah. and uh, you know, end up pulling off this heist and uh, end up ditching uh, some boxes of police walkie talkies and uh, the kids find them, and then uh, yeah. the, the crooks are hunting the kids down. Yeah, the the crooks get they get these the 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 boss characters like we got these walkie talkies from America, 
you know, and <laughs> he's like the the modified walkie talkie so they can hear the police band, but the police band once they modify them, the police can't hear them. And that's because anybody can hear the police band. Like you don't need a special walkie talkie. Like Right, I'm pretty sure. Like it's it's yeah, radio. It's a public. It's a public band. If I'm, and if even I'm if not, it wasn't, it's a radio band. Like you yeah, can't. <laughs> you can find it. You, you, you don't need. It. You don't need to to hack into the mainframe to get to it. <laughs> yeah, I guess this special plan was these walkie talkies was they could hear the police, but the police couldn't hear them. I but I still don't know why they needed so many of them. Like the <laughs> the kids find these walkie talkies, and it's called BMX bandits because they find they steal them pretty much, and. They sell them to pay for money to get Nicole Kim to get his bike fixed. Cause, and I think that to get Nicole Kim in a bike, I don't remember, but mostly to fix the one kid's bike. Very, very wholesome, wholesome use of, of fenced property. Yes. Very wholesome. Yeah. You know, no, no drug money. Well, no drugs with the money. You know, that's later. They're only, they're only like, you know, 13, give them a couple years. <laughs> and, but then, then of course the bad guys find out and, and hilarious hijinks ensue, including a chase scene. That's about, a third of the film. Yeah. And like, it's, it's my favorite kind of chase scene. It's like every, it's like shot of a chase shot of something one minute away. The chase <laughs> goes through that scene. Oh no, it's a mattress factory. Oh no. <laughs> they're moving something. Oh no, there's some glass. Like it, it, <laughs> watch it, out for that fruit stand. <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and it just keeps happening. Like it goes on forever. And You'd think it would get boring, but Brian Trenchard Smith knows how to mix it up. And he keeps it moving at a pretty good pace. And there's a lot of good gags. The movie's basically a cartoon. Like yeah. the, the villains, like you don't have to think about what the villains would do. Eventually, you'd think if the bad guys get their hands on Nicole Kidman, they're going to kill her. Yeah. But they don't say that. You know, that's like, get that kid. Wah, wah. You know, it's, it's very, it's very cartoonish. Yeah, and I, I think that's what what you know keeps it from from tilting into to really more unseemly territory is that when you know the, the kids are obviously the heroes, so like the audience this is geared towards has something to associate with, but it's never ever really feels like it feels like just enough of a threat. So like you never get the feeling that these these guys are actually going to kill and torture these kids. They're too, they're too goofy uh, and, 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 and sort of just a group of doofuses. So, so there's a threat, but it's a funny threat. And, and, you know, it does that thing where it's like the kid and, and the audience, the kid and the audience can sort of put themselves in that position and feel smarter than the adults and, and feel wilier and, and more clever. <laughs> and, and it, it really, you know, helps, helps put it across. Otherwise you have, you know, maybe that'll happen in the gritty reboot. Is is that the kids' <laughs> lives will actually be at stake? <laughs> um, oh no! Whereas whereas uh, here it, it does. You're you're exactly right. It has it has more of the feel of of almost like a, a Roadrunner cartoon and um, of of just fast paced, lots of stunts and uh, and 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 good gags scattered around. He's he's yeah. really good at at pacing. Yeah, that was one of the the. Um, compliments in the reviews I, I dug up some reviews there was an australian newspaper called the age and the reviewer of that neil gillette he starts off by criticizing smith's previous film turkey shoot have you seen turkey shoot uh, i have actually not seen turkey shoot you don't need to it's not very good okay. uh has steve rails back 
It's not good. The writer of this review says Turkey Shoot was an abominable and inept exercise in sex and violence. But he says that BMX Bandits is exuberant, funny, and wholesome. And all the reviews I found are basically, they say the same thing. It's like, this is a movie for kids, but you'll like it. Yeah. Like, it's it's not an ordeal for the grown-ups, which I think that's really hard for a movie made for kids. Yeah. No, that's yeah. that's a that's a real hard trick to pull off, and yeah. and to also you know it, he he takes the you know as as silly and as lighthearted as as the action is he he takes it seriously, um, and I think a lot of times with you know sort of you know cheaper sort of kid cash in kinds of movies it's you know they're very perfunctory and and you probably barely get competent cutting or or, yeah. or shooting you just sort of get. You just get what you need. Whereas is, is this, it's like, it, it, it is thought out and it's well done. Yeah. And, and that gives it a, a heft, you know? And it's, it's paced well. It starts out with a good BMX scene and then there isn't any BMX for a long time. Like, yeah. but then once it comes back, it never leaves. Yeah. So it's, I think it would almost, I think if the, the non BMX part went on one minute longer, it would drag, but they, he, he, he paces it just well enough that what just when the movie starts to really slow down, it's like, here comes all the bikes all the time. Yeah. It's really smart. You know, it, it, it always bums me out that Trenton Smith didn't do more like, you know, quote unquote real movies because yeah. he brings such a understanding of pacing of how to film stunts. Like, like I said, like that Nicole Kidman half the time is a dude, but unless you're watching it on Blu-ray and pausing it, you can't tell. Yeah. And, but it's still a long take where you see this person's whole body but the he's framing the action so you're not looking at his face you're looking at the bike and he just knows how to make a good movie it's it's just well put together top to bottom yep and 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 that pacing too um that the point you made about sort of kicking off with the bmx and then it sort of slowing it down a little bit it, it also gives gives the movie a little bit of room to breathe and let the characters uh, have have you, you you get comfortable with them and you and you get to see that you know they each have um you know I'm not going to say this they're like stupendously deeply written characters but it's smart enough to give you enough to like them and to find out yeah. why you like them and then that actually gives you some stakes and some some rooting interest which which I also think helps it um yeah. work for both an older audience and a and a kid audience and 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 that's the sign of of a, of a director and you know, who knows how to work with a writer and who knows how to put something together. Yeah, they're, they're well-defined characters. Like, Nicole Kidman isn't just the girl. He's assertive and he's interesting. Yeah. And there's the one boy who's kind of, you know, self-conscious about his looks and self-deprecating. And then there's the other one who's a little prettier and he's a little more... Aggr- you can see the beginning of what could be a romance. Yeah. You know, but yeah. it's not and, and she very much is... Um, she's, you know, a, a really independent character and not reliant yeah. on the, on the two dudes, which is, um, k- kind of impressive for, for a movie yeah. of that era and, and totally. doubly yeah. so for a, for, for a movie pitched at kids. Um, yeah, yes. <laughs> but uh, one movie this gets compared to a little bit is Goonies. Mm. And I think that like, Quentin Tarantino's competitive to Goonies. A lot of other people have, and I think that's the best way to describe this movie. It's Australian Goonies on bicycles. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that is right on. Um, yeah, and I would imagine too for I, I I haven't checked it out with any Australians, um, but but I I would imagine that this probably has a similar sort of following, like like Goonies does, where it's just like such a key, 
it just feels like it would be such a key part of of a childhood in in Australia or like such a key film s- similar to Goonies. Yeah, in Japan I work with a lot of people from all over the world and I haven't worked with a lot of Australians close to our age, you know, around 40, but the ones I have, they know this movie. Yeah. And no, no, I have, I've never met anybody who saw it in the theaters, but I think it also played in TV, on TV a lot yeah. in Australia. So, like, I don't think it has... They also know Goonies, and, and they like Goonies more, but <laughs> I think it's definitely an, Aust- an Aussie-centric nostalgia point for Australian, you know, Gen Xers of a certain age, for sure. And I think it's a great movie to have. It's nice to, It's nice to find a movie that you liked as a kid, look back on it, and hey, like, hey, this is a good movie. Yeah. You know, yeah, you don't feel betrayed. It's not a great like, movie. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's not a life-changing movie, but it's still a good movie. Like, I went back and watched Monster Squad a while ago, and it's okay. It's fun, but it's not, it's not great. It, it's a kid's movie. And, and it, and it does have some stuff that, that hasn't yeah. aged particularly well. Yeah, that's another um, thing. Yeah, you know, let's not say the word. I don't say the word in this podcast, but there are no bad F-bombs in this movie. Or rad, you know, yeah. at a time where that would have been totally fine yeah. for a movie, in, in culturally speaking, for a movie to do. So, and there, are, there isn't even a lot of sexism in, in BMX Bandits or anything that you look at it now and go, you, like... Yeah. Yeah, the, it, the, the it, cringe it, factor is is non-existent, which is... The cringe thing. factor is pretty much just Nicole Kidman's hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, and, and, that, that, and that is, you know, you're right, that is, that is a feat, because I, you know, I think like a lot of folks, you know, I, I like to revisit things that I loved as a kid, or, you know, mm-hmm. f- find things that, you know, are, are finally getting reissued that maybe have, haven't been available, and, and just watching them just kind of like, oh my god, <laughs> what, yeah. what? <laughs> and, yeah, well, like, like, you know, and that is a thing. With if you like old movies, you, you like if you want if you like movies from the thirties and forties and fifties, you got to get used to black people just being yeah. shoe shiners, and that's it. Yeah. You know, and if you like movies from the seventies and eighties, you got to get you just got to take the homophobia and transphobia. It's yeah. just, and you don't have to you don't have to excuse it. You don't have to. Pretend like it didn't happen, but it's there. And if that if that's the kind of thing that bothers you, and I'm not saying you're wrong for having it bother you, then there's a lot of movies that it's they're just hard to watch. Yeah, yeah. The, the casualness of it is is really staggering. And Especially Monster Squad, man. Monster God. And and I'm I'm a big Monster Squad fan. It's but but I the the drive-in here in Columbus showed it about a year or so ago, um, or maybe two years ago. Now it was pre pre pandemic. And yeah. I just remember, like, oh wow, yeah, that that was in that, and um, like that was one of the things about Stranger Things. Like when they were making that, they deliberately they have said in interviews, like these kids don't talk like kids in the early eighties would talk. Because if they did, you wouldn't like them. Yeah, that's why I think they call they call that kid a like they call the bullies call the kid a fairy. Yeah, in that they don't they don't use the other word so. It's not realistic, but I prefer it. Like, please, that I don't. I lived through that. I don't need to see it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so like in twenty twenty one, BMX Bandits. Whether you're eight years old or you know an old man like me, yearning for eighties nostalgia because you're depressed. It's a good movie. I recommend it. Just I, I, fantastic. I I'm right there with you. I I think um, 
it, it is yeah totally worth seeking out and if if um if you can snag the the severin films reissue of it there's there's a lot of nice bonus features on it and um the the transfer looks really good and it's uh yeah it, it it's totally worth worth seeking out if if you've never seen it and if you can't find that blu-ray it is uh free on amazon prime uh to stream it that transfer is also gorgeous it's a full widescreen hd transfer a lot of old movies don't get that still on amazon prime so that's awesome it looks like you can watch it that way it's fantastic so yeah a plus movie frozen in silence facing it alone gotta keep my cool make them think i'm made of stone it's a game of wheels we're playing our nerves are made of steel on the edges of everything we feel It's gonna take all we've got Just to make it through this night Gotta feel it right through But, movie that also about BMX, maybe not an A-plus movie, at least in my opinion, is Rad, from 1986. Starring, eh, and directed by... Hal Needham. Yeah, so... I, I think you dug deep into how Needham for this episode. Am I correct? <laughs> you you are you are correct. I did uh, you read his fucking book? I, I read his autobiography. Um, <laughs> well, one, I mean, you know, to to be fair, dude has a really interesting life, and um, oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, but the, the, the book, um, which, which I do, like if, if, if anyone listening is, is into stunts and, um, and, and stunt work, like totally seek that book out and, and give it a read. Um, or if you're really interested in, in stories about living with Burt Reynolds, um, in Burt Reynolds's house in the seventies and eighties, um, also a, a gold mine of those anecdotes, um, but um yeah no it it's, uh, it was it was a super fun read about this this person who essentially created um modern stunt work and 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 what we think of as stunt work and uh in in contemporary film um and and just a just a really interesting trajectory from from you know dirt poor to um through through sheer luck throughout his career like finding yeah. finding this really strange path that you know where you end up being, you know the the double for the biggest star in the world at the time, Burt Reynolds, and yeah, um, you know, d- d- churning out some of the biggest blockbusters of its era, like Smokey and the Bandit, and um, and and yeah. then he got to Rad. <laughs> yeah, so we're not let's let's not talk about too much about Smokey because I'm going to have a whole episode yeah. about Smokey uh, soon. But like, so how need him started as a stuntman, right? Yep, and he was on a lot of westerns. The Big Country, Stagecoach, The Men Who Shot, Liberty Valance. He's also in Our Man Flint and Camelot. He did some minor work. I would imagine most of his acting work was roles that needed a stunt a stunt man to yep. do. But then he became a second unit director, right? Yep. And that's when he met Burt Reynolds. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then and they become fast friends, and and he doubles yes. for him, and you know Bert um, sort of brings him on board to the to the films, um, both both out of friendship and both out of of Needham's really unparalleled skill um, at at the job, and mm-hmm. sort of hits right at the right time as as Burt Reynolds becomes the the biggest star in the world. Yeah, and he makes 
Smoking a Bandit, fantastic, 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 fantastic movie. Uh, he makes Hooper, very good movie. Hooper is he really makes, good. Hooper, yeah, Hooper's surprisingly good. And and then the other movies? There's stuff in there. Less good. <laughs> I mean, I watched Cannonball Run last year, and it was almost unwatchable. Yeah. And I love Dom DeLuise, but, you know, it's just, it's barely a movie. Yeah. And he made Mega Force, which is also, like, an infamously terrible film. Um, Stroker Ace, which is the film that pretty much killed Burt Reynolds' career. Yep. Then Cannonball Run 2, which didn't help. And then he made one more theatrical release, which is Rad, in 1986. I found how some, you know... Hal Needham sounds like a character, like for sure. And his his philosophy on making films, not much of one. And <laughs> <laughs> he said he makes movies like I found an, an interview with him from the Minneapolis Star Tribune in 1986. And he's like, he says, if I paid attention to my views, I'd shoot myself. He says, you know those guys on TV, Ebert and Humperdinck? <laughs> <laughs> I made their 10 worst list in the last five years, but I make movies for the masses. That's why critics don't like them. He says, I wouldn't know what to do with a movie like My Dinner with Andre. It's a fine movie, but what was it? Two guys there eating. I don't know how to do that. Like, you know, he he knew his strengths. He knew his strengths. Yeah. You know, and it's cars and fights and stunts. But I don't know if, like... The skills required to direct a good car chase and the skills required to make BMX bike look interesting. I don't know if they're exactly the same. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. And yeah, I think it's also, you know, it's it's would mark an interesting point. It's it is worth noting, as, as you did, that this does end up being his last theatrical release. And yeah. sort of this this realization of um, you know an a sort of a certain type of era being over, and and the fact that it is sort of the hot new thing, and they bring him in mm-hmm. to direct it. Uh, it is it is a very different. It requires a very different approach um, if you're shooting cyclists um, than you are cars um, or big yeah. sprawling car chases, and and I think that's evident in in Rad, and and also just sort of. You know, you get the feeling as we were talking about with BMX bandits, Brian Trenchard Smith kind of got kids or at least got what kids oh, yeah. like and, and and how to, to showcase that. Whereas this, you kind of get the feeling that, you know, he's just sort of like, what's what's up with all these kids? <laughs> like, go get yeah. with bikes? What is this? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I looked into the making of it at all. The cast and crew had nothing but nice things to say about him. Like. It sounds like there was no set drama, but it doesn't sound like he brought a lot to the movie. Yeah. You know, I think they probably got him cheap at this point. Yeah. Because after making Megaforce and Stroker Ace, like, you're not in demand. Yeah. And and you need to work. And and it's also yeah. hitting at a time where, you know, his his career and, and, and this this I mean, this should go without saying, it's like how how Needham is one of the, if not the best stunt person who, who's, who's ever done it and, mm-hmm. and laid the groundwork for so much. So that's not, you know, his, his contribution is, is unparalleled and, and goes without question, but it's also the arc of a career. It was so tied to Burt Reynolds and, and sort totally. of his time in the, the, the early, 
early to mid eighties, both of them are kind of experiencing just a turn in, in taste and a turn in, in, in what people want to see in movies. You're moving into Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone action type yeah. movies, not um, the, the sort of freewheeling stuff of, of the Burt Reynolds era. And, and, and rad is like a really good example of that where it's, it's a fad film, but they're bringing in someone more from the old guard and it, it requires yeah. maybe a bit more, a, a slightly different approach. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of thought was put into the film really at much more than let's make something for kids because this was produced by Jack Schwartzman. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Talia Shire's uh, hus- um, husband. He passed away mm-hmm. uh, a long time ago, but that's, that's how Talia Shire's in this movie. Like the company's called Talia films, I think. Yeah, but it's a family affair, like without question. And you know, I'm reading interviews, and yeah, Talia Film Productions. I'm reading interviews, and they're both saying we wanted to make something for our kids. So thank you, Jason Schwartzman, the kid from Rushmore. <laughs> this movie was made for him. <laughs> <laughs> and it, well, it's it's interesting the the that family component. If um, yeah. I don't know if you listened to any of the commentaries, on I don't the- have I don't have the disc on it, so I don't oh, okay. Know. So I, I the one of the commentaries is is with Talia Shire and um, oh really wow I want to say John Schwartzman or Robert Schwartzman sorry oh. um, who obviously is one of the the Schwartzman children um, mm-hmm. so it's it's the two of them doing the commentary and it, and it is actually you know they, they talk about it like they're watching a family movie which is <laughs> a, a really interesting way to think about it where it is like instead of getting you know you get your stories from the set and all of that but what but what you're really getting is like oh remember when dad was doing that and then this was the day that Jason came to set and and it's like really really sweet and 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 just interesting to to kind of think about that oh yeah our family heirloom is the movie rad (laughs) you know it's now you make make me feel like an asshole for for ragging on it so much oh no 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 (laughs) do they do they understand it's not very good um they i feel like she, because you know, obviously th- this was her husband and her 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 love. Um, yeah, you know she she goes pretty easy on it. Um, okay, and and it does. I mean, and, and it does have it does have have you know good qualities. I and I say this as a fan oh, yeah. of the movie. Yeah. Um. But um. Yeah. You know, I, I think they know it's very much of its time. Um. But it's yeah. so. I, I mean, I don't know how they could ever look at it critically. It's so tied to. To her oh yeah, totally. And his father, that it becomes it becomes a really different kind of thing when you listen to it. And um, yeah, that reminds me of. Do you know the movie Roar? Oh yeah, yeah. T- Tippy Hedren, right? Yeah, yeah, and her husband and Melanie and like their kids. Yeah, including Melanie Griffith. They they make this family film about lions killing them. You know, so <laughs> Roar will be on here at some point. This is probably this is probably a safer shoot than Roar. <laughs> but like yeah nobody else really of note worked on it like other than robert levy one of the one of the smoky producers like he worked on it he moved on to mary kate and ashley videos <laughs> well that's that seems to to tra- track uh as far as it you know following fads and, and trends and making a butt ton of money i bet yeah one of the writers is jeffrey edwards which is blake edwards son huh he didn't do much. He wrote this and some of the worst Pink Panther films. And that was about it. Like a lot of the people on this are like, oh, he did this and then some TV and that's it. Yeah, Jeffrey Edwards did this. It looks like he directed some newer Disney videos. <laughs> <laughs> 
and that's about it. Like a lot of them just did. I mean, maybe I'm sure he's done other stuff like in his life, but <laughs> in terms of, in terms of, like, you don't, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. When I was researching Apple, a lot of the people who worked on the Apple didn't do much film, but they did other really interesting things like Broadway and music production. Like, so I don't know what else he's done outside of film, but with film, Rad's the last movie he wrote. Hmm. So before that, he wrote The Curse of the Pink Panther and Trail of the Pink Panther, which are both terrible movies. Yes, they are. Like, <laughs> like Rad has things that I like, and I can watch Rad not get bored. Those post Peter Sellers. Those movies where they use old Peter Sellers footage are just embarrassing. No, they're they're horrible, and and the the use of of him uh, of that footage just seems so creepy and and yeah. exploitive. And, and yeah, it's totally gross. Yeah, yeah. But there are a couple of interesting people in this movie. Like the star is Bill Allen. He plays the kid Crew Jones. He hasn't done much. He's really leaned hard into rad. Yes, he has. His his book is called My Rad Career. Yep. He's he's also doing rad themed artwork. Yes. <laughs> and and it looks like I mean it looks like he does have like a really really strong um career on the the sort of autograph circuit and um, yeah. convention circuit. Yeah. Yeah, you know, good for him. I mean, yeah. I, I when I used to go to I used to go to comic book conventions back when I was a big nerd and also occasionally writing for Wizard Magazine. And you know, you'd see the same people a lot. And you'd be you first it's, you think it's depressing, but they're probably getting by. Like, you know how many times I met Lou Ferrigno? Yeah. Like a lot. A yeah. lot. Or um Timac. Like, oh yes. I met I met Timac in one day. I met Timac from The Last Dragon, Roddy Roddy Piper, and I got Stanley's autograph. That was a good day. That is, that's like, a really good day. <laughs> like that's, that's met, the kind of day where it's like I've accomplished yeah. something. Like I, man, I love The Last Dragon. Like that yeah, is. Yeah, I, I I met Julie Newmar and Lorenzo Lamas in the same day. Like you know, just comic book. The comic book. Once the pandemic's over, man, the B level comic book convention autograph circuit is a great way just to see. 8 million, hey, it's that guy. Yeah. <laughs> the hey, it's that guy con. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Dick Miller convention. No. The um, Dick Miller convention, yes. I wish. But the his the romantic lead is Lori, Lori how do you say her name? It's Lori Laughlin, correct? Lori Laughlin. She was in Full House and Prison. Yeah, she's now in the big house. <laughs> she's now in the big house. <laughs> the, 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 what, how do you, how do you describe that scandal? Like the test rigging, the scandal? Yeah, like, essentially b- the long and short of it, just uh, basically paying to get your kid into an Ivy league school through, um, beefed up test results and, and scams. Yeah. And she got busted for it. Yeah. And like, I have no nostalgia for her. I never watched full house and I'm, and I'm gay. So like yeah. <laughs> the two things that would appeal to me about her, not me. What about you? Oh, I thought she was um, from, from this movie and, and full house. I thought she was, um, was super cute. And uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, she, you know, she, um, yeah, I think for uh, a, a, a straight boy in, in the suburbs, Lori Laughlin is, is, um, has, is, is a crush um, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. And yeah, Talia Shire is there for like five minutes playing Bill Allen's mom. She she it's pretty much a nothing role, you know. Yeah, I, obviously there because it's a family movie. Uh, I think, and um, that's it for her. But who's the antagonist? Well, there are several antagonists. Yeah, 
It's an antagonistic film. The head antagonist is Bart Taylor, played by Bart Connor. Yes. And what is Bart Connor most famous for? He is a two-time gold medal winning Olympian athlete. And, yes. and uh, I mean, also talk about tapping into to a fad at the time. He had just won those gold medals, I think, yeah. a year or two before filming. Um, and he looks so young. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he, he's, I think he's not bad, you know, as a non-actor goes, he, he plays a good 80s prick. Yeah, he's fine. He, you know, in the, in the William Zabka role, like he, he does a, he does a, he does a, a good job. And he like, obviously when you are a, you know, a, a gold medal winner, a, a gold medal winning athlete, like he handles the the stunts really well. And yeah, um, yeah and he's, he's, he's got presence for sure. Yeah. The the other bad guy is do is a uh, Jack Weston playing Duke Best. Duke Best is a great name for a shitty bad guy in a B movie, <laughs> and he's like the bike company president who wants Bart to win. Yes, and he's in a few movies. He gets around. He won a Tony, or no, was not at least nominated for one. And he's one of the bad guys in Wait Until Dark. Oh yeah, I love that movie. And uh, he's in this movie that I love called The Ritz, which I bet you never heard of. I haven't. What's it called again? The, the, Ritz, the Ritz is a movie. The Ritz came out in the late 70s, early 80s. It stars him, Jerry Stiller. It's one of Treat Williams' first films. F. Murray Abraham. Holy And shit. Rita Marino. And he, Jack Weston's the lead in that movie. And he is on the run from Jerry Stiller, who wants to kill him for reasons. And he goes into hiding at a gay bathhouse. That sounds great. It's amazing. It's so good. It kind of falls apart in the third act, but it is a great time capsule of what uh, uh, that, like the continental, you know what the continental baths are? Yeah. Yeah. The continental baths were the bathhouse that like was like the high end gay bathhouse, which is just a weird concept to even mention. But anyway, um, and like, that's what Bette Midler played a lot. And Rita Marino is playing Bette Midler basically. And that's a fantastic movie. It's on Amazon Prime. I highly recommend it. It is a strange, bizarre, fun, obviously based on a play movie that is you can't not enjoy. But that, yeah, he's a good sounds, actor. He's in a lot of good stuff. And that sounds so good. <laughs> yeah, it'll be on this podcast. Don't okay. mark my words. But my favorite actor in this movie, everybody else can just go to hell. This movie has Ray Walston in it. Yes, it does. <laughs> Ray Walston in like... One of the I you know one of my favorite introductions to a character is is his in Rad. <laughs> <laughs> the world would be better without kids, yeah. right? Is that what he says? So perfect, yeah, yeah. And he has an interesting character arc. I think his character has the most change in the movie. Like he he starts as an antagonist and then switches as the film goes, and. Ray Walston's great. Ray, Ray Walston, for you kids, man, he was he's my favorite Martian, the TV show. Like, that was him. And if you're a little bit, if you're our age, you might know him from Picket Fences, mm-hmm. the TV show. But he acted for over 40 years. He always shows up. Like, since the since the pandemic, my boyfriend and I have been watching a ton of old movies. He's the teach. He's Mr. Hand in Fast Time. Is that his name? Oh, character? yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mr. Hand and Fast Times at Ridgemont High. So that's how probably most people younger than me know him. But he's in Silver Streak. And he straight up, you see Ray Walton murdering cops. Like yeah. that movie's 
great. He's in the apartment. He's so he's just this this asshole in the apartment who takes advantage of everybody around him. Yeah, mega he's great mega creep. He's in the Sting. He's in. He has a deep cut. He's in one of my favorite bizarre movies. He's in, he's in a movie called Caprice, which is the Doris Day spy movie with uh, Richard Harris. <laughs> and uh, I bought a German Blu-ray of that um, <laughs> just to watch it because I'm a Doris Day fanatic. And he's he plays this mad scientist, and that he's he. You get the feeling that he puts a hundred percent in every role. Yeah, and he's so good in this movie. He has the best lines. He has the best, one of the best middle fingers in film history. Yes, just man, I could, I could start a Way Walston fan podcast. I, I think, I think you need to. He, no, he's, he's, I, I love him too. It, he's, he's just the best. Whenever he shows up, no matter what it is, he's, he's in Robert Altman's Popeye. Like it's. Um, yeah. He's yeah. Yeah, he he always just brings that that little something extra to it and he's he's just a joy. Like he looks like he's always, you know, happy to be there no, no matter what it is. Yeah. And it's like yeah. that that joy of performing is is hard to come by and yeah. and man, no one no one does a better uh cranky authority figure than him. It's uh and, and he was old for his entire career. Yeah. Like <laughs> no, he he looked like he, even in in the apartment when he was what probably thirty ish, maybe probably our age, yeah, yeah, look thir- maybe mid thirties. Look, look like he was um, already seventy two years old, like kind of like James Coburn, yeah. Like, just get old fast and just stay there forever, or like it's the Patrick Stewart model, yeah. Um, <laughs> just it's good, it's good work if you can do it. Yes, it is. But yeah, he's great. Like and then, like for a future episode of this podcast, I'm gonna be doing Silver Streak. So if you want to get a heads up now and see Ray Walson in a small but fantastic role, watch. Silver Streak, one of the best movies ever made. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's great. I think the only other person of note in this, and not really as an actor, are the Reynolds brothers, the twins in the movie. Yeah. Chad and Carrie Hayes. They wrote. Con- they wrote The Conjuring. Yep. Yeah, they quit acting and became very successful screenwriters. So they, good on them. They made the right call there. <laughs> that's. Uh, that's they, uh, they got. They got. They they put down their BMX bikes, picked up some t- t- pens, and worked for Blumhouse, and they're probably doing just fine. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like this movie was made on on the cheap. It was made in Calgary um, to save money. It cost three million dollars. Uh, I I found a bunch of Calgary newspapers. Everyone was in this small town was so hyped. That the director of Smoking the Bandit was there, man. It was stoked. <laughs> and it sounded like a fun production. In the movie, there's the death track, the BMX track at the end of the movie. and The hell track. No, oh, hell track. I'm sorry. I got, yeah. <laughs> hell track. Bad word track. That wall was 20 feet high that they drop off of. And apparently when they first built it, the kids were like, no. <laughs> I'm not doing that. But one day, one kid did it. Then the other kid did it. Then they all did it. And then a really great thing I found is they asked all the kids, they knew Hal Needham was a stuntman. And they're like, you should do it. And the quote from him is, are you crazy? I have no desire to do stunts anymore. I'm too old and too rich. <laughs> that's, 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 a, that's a person who, who knows his limits. And uh... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I imagine a stuntman, so at this point, he's probably in his 40s. Fifties, even yeah, maybe probably your early. Yeah, it's maybe even early fifties at this point. That's when the stunt work catches up with you. Yeah, 
Yeah. And I imagine uh, he's saying that like between puffs of a cigar and, and uh, ice packs and ice you know. packs. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like a bunch of icy hot and it just smells like tobacco and icy hot. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> my grandfather's house. <laughs> But yeah, and I think another notable thing about the film is the soundtrack. Yep. People love the soundtrack to this movie. It's another thing. We didn't talk about BMX Bandit's soundtrack. BMX Bandit has a fantastic score. Very synthy, very 80s, very upbeat score. Some original songs that are bad, but in a cute, it's the 80s type way. So this, this soundtrack was put out by Curb Records. It got an actual release on vinyl, mm-hmm. which was super rare. And they re-released it on orange vinyl last year because, of course, they did. Um, <laughs> but it's never gotten a CD release. So if, if you're listening to this and you have a CD copy of a bootleg, it's not official. But it, it is a very well-acclaimed soundtrack, I think, mostly for Send Me an Angel. Yes. By Real Life. Send Me an Angel is a fantastic song. I have multiple remixes of it. Anybody who follows me on Twitter knows I collect 12-inch singles. So, like, Send Me an Angel's synth-pop banger. Uh, Real Life was a one-hit wonder for that song twice. <laughs> so, <laughs> what was the second time? What, well, they, re- they remixed it in 89, and it became a hit again. Ah, uh, got it. So, uh, not off of this movie, no. There's a Spark song in here, uh, music, music You Can Dance To, which is a good song. Spark's are great. Then there's the main songs, which are by a dude named John Farnham, who I know nothing about, but he did like the 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 uh, montage songs, you know, you know the the opening and closing songs and and the love song and mm-hmm. all that shit. Apparently in Australia, he's a big deal. Uh, he's Australian. His 1986 album Whispering Jack is the best-selling album by an Australian artist of all time in Australia. <laughs> It's the second best-selling album in Australian history. Do you know what the best-selling album in Australian history is? Is it? Let me let me take a guess. Is it? Okay. It's going to be not Australian. It's not Australian. Okay, so yeah. it's going to be. I feel like it's going to be something like the Eagles or or Meatloaf. You you you're good. It's bad as hell. Is it bad, bad as hell? hell? Yes. Yes. So good job. Uh, but yeah, so good for him, man. But he never really broke through here. You know, it's a fun soundtrack. Um, there's that song "Wind Me Up" by a band called Three Speed, which is a great name for a band if you're in a bike movie. Yeah, they had the theme songs to Savage Streets and Voyage, Voyage of the Rock Aliens and Once Bitten, but they never released an album. <laughs> so. I feel like you could get an album which is a, out of those those three Voyage of the Rock Aliens. That's that's uh, I remember that one. <laughs> I don't know that one. I know Once Bitten because Once Bitten's the vampire teen sex comedy with Jim Ki- with Jim Carrey, right? Yeah, yeah, Jim Carrey and yeah, Lauren it, Hutton. Yeah. Oh yeah, look, God, I forgot Lauren Hutton. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the soundtrack's great. The movie, not so much. Uh, it did very poorly. It was released March twenty first, nineteen. 80, I got the wrong year here. 86, March 21st, 1986, on less than 300 screens, 
It didn't even crack the top 10. According to the box office mojo, it debuted at number 16. Wow. With less than, with about $400,000. It was outgrossed by GoBots the movie. <laughs> I can't, I, I mean, I saw GoBots the movie in the theater, so, so that's... And um, my mom didn't love me that much. No, she didn't, <laughs> we didn't do that. I saw the Littles movie in the theater. <laughs> uh but not the GoBots movie. But it, 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 the movie only cost $3 million, but it only made $2 million. And um, at one point, this movie had the biggest gulf between viewer reception and critical reviews at Rotten Tomatoes. Viewer, the viewers gave it an 89%, and critics gave it a zero. <laughs> so, like, some reviews of the era. These are great. These are great. See, one good review was Vancouver Sun, Peter Wilson. This is a film for youngsters. They will enjoy it, particularly if they are or plan to be BMX writers. The end. That's the only good review. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's Pittsburgh Post Gazette. Yeah, Pittsburgh Post Gazette. No surprises. D plus. That's the review. <laughs> but that's it. Uh, but my favorite was this uh, from a news service, the New Newhouse News Service, Richard Friedman. This dude hates kids. So, Rad is allegedly teen speak for radical, just as fab means fabulous and yich means anything more intellectually demanding than sniffing glue. Wow. Thus, we might say Rad is a dim little movie about teenage biking is rad bad. Oh, okay. I was, I was going to ask you if how, how long it took for, for one headline to be Rad is bad or Rad bad. Rad bad came up a lot, a lot, yeah. a lot. But it, it has a bit better average now. The viewer reception is now 90% to critic reviews, which are now at 40%. So, hey, it improved by 40%. Yeah, the, the nostalgia uh, yeah. nostalgia can work wonders. <laughs> Yeah, but you, so did you see this movie on video when you were a kid? I, I saw it on video and I saw it on, which is, which I'm, you know, I, I think that's part of the reason of the, the explosion in it and, and, and what I was getting at at the top of the show, why I was um, really interested in this one is, is because that thing, and, and I, and I know other people who have had similar experiences um, with this movie specifically was so, so ubiquitous. Um mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I saw it on 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 VHS. I remember like asking my folks to rent that from the okay. from the Sounds Easy Video Store in in Lima, Ohio, um, <laughs> because easy. because like you, the poster like I just thought was you know awesome. Oh yeah, the box art's great. The poster's great. You know, uh, we haven't really said what it's about other than BMX, but that's pretty much it. Like that's it's it. It's about a kid. It's about a kid who wants to race in this big race, and the things that stop him from doing so. Yeah. That's, pretty, that, that's the movie. And, and his mom wants him to take the SATs. <laughs> his mom wants him to take his SATs. That conflict is resolved in the most realistic but uninteresting way possible, uh, which I kind of respect. Like, the the race is the same day as the SATs. And the mom's like, no, you have to take the SATs. And he's like, I'll take them later. She's like, okay. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Like... <laughs> Which is that's that's how it should be, <laughs> which is good. That's good. I'll give the movie credit. Uh, I think the most well-known scene from the film oh, is yeah. not a race scene, though, right? No, but with without no. question, it is not a race scene. What is the most well-known the, scene from this movie? The most well-known <laughs> scene, and I feel like people who haven't even seen this movie probably know the scene. Um, is a, a scene at the dance 
said to send me an angel where uh, Lori Laughlin and Bill Allen engage in some very, very, um, very sweet bike dancing. Uh, and it is, the, the scene is really something <laughs> and else. And it's, I think the thing that I, I get why that scene is fun, especially now it's, it's corny as hell. Yeah. And, it's a great song and the bad guys in their jumpsuits that look like they left the set of V <laughs> yeah. uh, are great too. Also really quick, you know that the bad guys are bad guys because they have eighties bad guy girlfriends. Yeah. So like this big team of professional writers come to the small town to compete and they all brought these like leader Ford wannabe looking girls yeah, with like, huge hair and leopard print tops and leather skirts and <laughs> like v- Vixen's bus broke down on the on the way to Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But the problem with this that dance scene for me is that like it's obviously those two actors and they obviously can't do anything. Yeah. So like they the shots of them the, the shots of them balancing themselves on the bikes, you don't see the bottom of the bike. No, it's it's incredible. Like it's all from the neck or the chest up and yeah. And it and and they don't even look like they're looking in the proper direction of where the, where the bike is going. And yeah, it's it's just a poorly put together like objectively speaking, it's poorly put together. And that's a bummer because the movie opens and closes with some BMX freestyling. Yeah. Flatland style. And Flatland BMX to me as someone who cannot even ride a bike. Flatland BMX is is wizardry. Yeah, uh, and that stuff's dope. And if they would have had a dance scene where they actually did some of that stuff, that would be amazing. Yeah, but as it is now, it's just funny. Oh yeah, I mean it. It, yeah. it plays. It it plays almost like, um, you know, like like a a Lonely Island sketch or something. Like it it is. Um, it's it's so it's so great and and one of those it's one of those scenes and and the movie more generally like mm-hmm. is so plugged into a specific piece of of nostalgia in a specific era that like when when I watched it again for this show it's like I wasn't even watching the movie it was just like oh I'm the only thing I could remember is seeing this in 1986 at my friend's house. Like it was, yeah. It, it's, it's, I don't know. That's like one of the, the really, you know, Ebert or, or Humperdinck, according to Hal Needham, <laughs> the, yeah, the late Roger Ebert, you know, it, like always said, it's like, Oh, movies at their best can be machines that generate empathy. And I, that's obviously a great insight. Um, yeah. And, and I think really accurate and a wonderful way to, to think about it, but it's, it's also the way that they generate memory. And then something like this, yeah, like it, ju- it just evokes such a specific thing. And then I do think that gap where it was really, really hard to find it. That helps. Yeah. It helps. And it creates this thing where it's like, did that really happen? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And then you go to college and you talk to your friends and it's like, Oh yeah, that movie. And then it just builds and builds because you can't find it and yeah it's uh, the mystique yeah yeah it's like for me like i i I, most i guess i was a basic kid and all the movies i liked as a kid were easy to find my entire life like my my go-to nostalgia bomb is you know that's not the goonies or something would probably be the warriors oh yeah because my dad was a terrible censor as i said many times on this podcast (laughs) and my brother and i used to watch that every weekend and but that's never gone that's never been out of print that's super easy to find I don't anything I have anything I've I guess the okay the only one that was out of print and hard to find that I loved as a kid was Alligator. 
Oh, that's a good one. Because that was on TV a lot, and it was it, the DVD went out of print almost immediately. So I didn't own it on home video for a long time, and that's one that like. But I think Alligator is a good movie. Oh yeah, like, that's John Sales, right? He re- Sales John Sales wrote, wrote it. Yeah. The director of Cujo. Yeah. It has what's his name from Jackie from uh, Jackie Brown, Robert Forrester, and Robert Forrester. Great movie. Great movie holds up tremendously. Probably better now than it was when it came out. Rad. I think if unless you were a little kid and you saw this movie as a little kid when it came out, other than that, you're not going to like it. I, I other think, than other than as a, as a, as like an ironic way. Yeah, no, I, I think that's I think that's completely accurate. I, I watched it with um, <laughs> I watched it with my fiance, and she um, like not was was not nearly as as into it, and and uh, but very clearly recognized it as one of those things of, of like, if you saw that when you were between the ages of six and 12 in 1986, it is so, it is just so seared in, into the, into the memory bank that um, you, I, I just can't help, but have that reaction to it, even though objectively I know all of these things yeah. about it to be I true. Sometimes, I sometimes feel bad for the movies I subject my boyfriend to because he's Japanese lived in Japan most, almost his entire life. And he's a little older than us. He's 50. So, and I'm 41. So, like, he is completely removed from any nostalgia yeah. for this t- type of movie. And it means, for him, it's just a movie. And he's a, he's a good sport, and he can laugh at a movie. So, like, I don't think he's ever been, like, bored by anything. If he's bored by it, I'm bored by it. Yeah. But this is not the kind of thing that he'll ever want to watch again. And I can't blame him. Yeah. You know? <laughs> But it, it definitely has tapped a nostalgia nerve, and I think it goes back to it being the idealized nostalgia of the eighties. Yeah, this has to be sampled on a, on a synthwave album. It just has to be. Yeah, yeah. There's, like, there's, there's no universe where that doesn't happen, and and it is. Yeah. It's you know, it's not just tied to to that moment. It's it's tied to a format um, because it was yeah. only available on VHS. So so it, yeah. it, like all of these things that that work at once and it, it's tied to the explosion of pay cable movie stations where it was yeah. like, I, I don't know if it was an HBO or a, or a showtime um, that, that I don't remember, but I, I do remember like going to a friend's house or a family member's house who, who had those channels, like so, somehow it was just on like all through the, through the eighties. And, and that, I mean, that shit sinks like, in hard. Yeah, so, like, this is to Synthwave or 80s nerds as, like, you know, a Hammer House, a horror film as a Rob Zombie. Like, yeah. it's completely connected, and I just missed it, I guess, and I wasn't part of that nostalgia. I, I didn't pick it up the first time, and you can't you can't put that in a bottle. It's gone. No. Yeah, and it, it, it only lives in that moment. Yeah, and, I, you know, I don't want to hate it. After watching it the second time, I, I did like it more. I find that's happened a lot recently. Like when I watched the first time I watched Flash Dance, I hated it. And then I watched it a second time and I think knowing when to tune out helps. Mm-hmm. And then so like Flash Dance, the second time I watched it, like I checked my phone during the boring parts and then I only saw the good parts and it was a better movie. And this is this also kind of benefits to that but not much of it is good yeah (laughs) the the bike stuff for me is boring and the drama is nothing the oh god we didn't even mention the romantic montage oh yeah yeah the obligatory romantic montage yes 
slide the, the water slide um oh the water slide like the fully clothed yeah a fully clothed water water slide experience that must have been so cold it's, oh yeah 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 like one of the the making of features it was it was apparently well below 40 degrees uh, god man, your junk would go to your abdomen <laughs> god i just <laughs> like, like a frightened turtle <laughs> like it would just uh, <laughs> like a frightened turtle yes and like the the romance isn't like I feel so bad. Like this is this is when you start thinking about the kind of roles women get in movies. Yeah. And this is a prime example. Like the you get the the cool dude is the main dude and the bad guy is a cool dude and the cop looks cool even though he's a cop and like Ray Walston gets to chew scenery and then the bad guy gets to be this evil prick and then the only women in this movie are girlfriends and moms. Yeah. They have no agency. The 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 the, the fight that they, they have for the end of second act fight is nothing. Like Lori Lachlan does nothing, and it's not even her fault. It's a nothing role. It's yeah. just an, and then you compare it to BMX Bandits, you know? Yeah, where 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 Kidman's character is like getting in, like is in the middle of the action and is is actually taking moves in the action and isn't dependent on the other the dudes yeah yeah no it's 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 very much you know it is it is a symptom of its time and that you know it's it's like concerned mom or worried cute girlfriend like like those were the only two positions um for for women in, in a film like that and and just you know i think by by nature of it being a fad film and and being directed by someone who you know the who, who we when you know discussing sort of his approach to film is just like getting the shot getting it done and and getting out of there is um yeah. you know you you do end up creating and, and reinforcing that that stereotype unfortunately yeah unfortunately and also like the thing you know so like if you come here looking for drama you're not going to find it and I guess if you're a kid and you like bikes, it's good. But like watching it as an adult, like in that first race, Crudus cheats. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you can't just go out of the barrier to win a race. Like you can't, that's not how races work. That would be like, no, like that'd be like going off the track and the Daytona 500 and the skipping the middle of it. No, you <laughs> can't do that. And that's how he wins the first race. He just goes off the track and cuts corners. And it's like, no person who made this movie you need to know how races work yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's It's also kind of a a very 80s thing like win at any cost um but i don't think it's even portrayed as cheating i just don't think that hal needham knew that was cheating yeah he and so that's the movie he doesn't fundamentally understand the sport like i think going to the dance scene in the romance a lot of it doesn't work because of the direction it's lazy and like even i don't want to spoil i mean you, it's it's a sports movie in the 80s you know how it ends but the last shot in the film there's a big hurrah moment and you don't even see one of the characters faces yeah it just kind of stops and like i guess if this movie was more well put together better edited had more exciting bike sequences i would ignore the other parts but when it's just everything about it is boring other than that dance scene and the ironic fun you get from it it's just yeah ugh, i don't know man sorry <laughs> no no it it is it is tr- it is truly i mean it it's the kind of thing that you know, one of those like, oh, you had to be there, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of totally. moments. But it, but it is if 
if if someone were going into this cold and and that someone wasn't you know looking to watch it as a time capsule or a pop culture pop cultural artifact um or or just even sort of interested in in like the history of 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 bikes um they're probably not going to get much out of it and unless there's the they're looking for the the ironic enjoyment factor however if you saw it between 86 and 88, 89, at a certain age, it is deeply plugged into your core, into your mind. Yeah, like if you if you are still living in the hell that is a current world and, you know, are like me and you ain't going to get a vaccine until God knows when and you can't leave your house, then and you want to be reminded of happy childhood, then yo, you're and, good. And probably, you know, probably not a coincidence that... Um, the the big Blu-ray reissue of it happened, um, you know, the, the the timing of it and sort of the explosion of focus on it happened during that pandemic, and and I, yeah. I think it it was um, Vinegar Syndrome who who were who were really doing yeah. such great work with with yeah, titles I, like this. Um, it's I mean, it sold out. I think almost immediately, if I'm not well, mistaken. Well, so they they did such a small print run of the 4K. That if you want to buy it now on Amazon, it's over a hundred dollars. Yeah, and I don't. I've I've never understood that as somebody who likes. And you can watch it on Amazon. You can rent it, so that's good. You got to pay for it, but you can rent it, so that's fine. If you just if you just want to watch the movie once, that's I think Amazon Prime rentals, not the, not the free stuff, the stuff you have to pay for for rentals. I think they're usually a good deal. Yeah, you know, if you it's just like going to a video store. You don't own it, rent it. It's fine. But I've never understood the philosophy of let's not make enough of a of a movie. Yeah, like there's that company Twilight Time, and I hate them because they they lean into it. Like they made this Fright Night disc that they don't they made like three thousand copies of it. It's like fuck you, man. I wanted to buy that, and <laughs> yeah. like unless you unless you know when it comes out and you can pre order it, you're screwed. Yeah. So like you know I think some companies do it better than other companies but like this model of let's make it super limited edition like no man make, let people buy the goddamn movie you own the, you, you leased the rights to it for however long make more you know yeah let it let it live and 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 yeah. let it circulate in some ways I do think there is a a budget yeah, DVD, like you can buy Mill, Mill Creek or something. Put out a, a budget version of of Rad. And so, if you want to buy the non 4K version, like you can. We will not. Yeah, fuck off. So it says right here, limited edition and only available here. We will not be repressing this relast in any format once it sells out. I don't want to complain too much about this label because they do good work. Like they put out interesting stuff that nobody else would put out. You yeah. know, um, they put out that Andy Milligan movie, I Like Seeds, that I talked about in a previous episode. They do some weird old gallo, a lot of 80s stuff. And, like, to be honest, not my thing, but a lot of high-quality porn. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and good for – and, oh, they put out Angel on Blu-ray. Yeah. Okay? And one of, my, one of my all-time favorite movies. But when they do stuff like this, it just makes them look bad. And no, nobody wins. They, you know, the right way to do this, game companies do this now, they do open pre-orders. So you have to wait longer to get it, but then they know how many to make. Yeah. 
That's they a make, really they make more idea. money, more people get it. Everybody wins, man. Yeah, Just that's a do smart it like idea. That. Yeah, you know. So hopefully they don't make that same mistake twice when they get some other great forgotten horribly out of print film and it gets a, a wider release but i guess we should wrap up a little bit and i'm just ranting about home video distribution <laughs> um but anything else you want to say about rad and or bmx bandits um no i mean i i think i you know i think they'd make a great double feature if um, oh yeah if, if if folks are into that sort of thing but i i, I am I'm right there with you. I think BMX Mad Bandits is is by far the the superior one, and it truly something that I think like even if you have zero nostalgic connection to it, you're going to get a really fun, well put together B movie um, with with really like the, a, a star making performance by Nicole Kidman and and oh yeah, rad for for as much as my my big fat nostalgic heart um has has affection for it is is probably not the kind of thing if um if you aren't already a fan or already nostalgic for that particular era or that particular thing you're gonna get much out of yeah um, but it is fun to think about how Hal Needham was apparently one of the models for um Brad Pitt's character in once upon a time in Hollywood and oh yeah yeah and uh it, it is fun to think about perhaps an alternate universe where Brad Pitt's character goes on to direct a BMX movie <laughs> <laughs> i still haven't seen that movie i gotta watch that oh it's uh, it is a good one yeah that's what i heard but we're gonna finish up uh, eric thanks again for coming down it was nice talking to you um where can people find you on the internet if they want to or if oh you want yeah to? if if uh, they want to follow me on the internet i'm on twitter uh e underscore pepple uh p-e-p-p-l-e and um i actually just um started an instagram feed i've spent um the instagram feed is at a video store near you and uh i just um started this about two weeks ago or so and i'm i'm finally making use of these these vhs catalogs that i've accumulated over the years and and have been um just sort of pulling together like interesting ads and and other sort of ephemera that's in there um, and I, I post on there a few times a week. If if you're listening and you're a, a VHS fan or, or video store um, era fan, um, you can follow me there. It's a video store near you on, on Instagram. And if you want that to do sounds- a day job, wexarts.org. Um, yes, wexarts.org. Yes, good. But yeah, th- this was a blast, James. Thanks so much for, for having me. No problem, man. Anytime. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Lost Turntable and at my website, lostturntable.com. And I also have another podcast. I'm on Alexander's Ragtime Band, which is a podcast about progressive rock music, everyone's favorite. Start with uh, hosted by Jeremy Parrish and featuring me and my friend uh, Elliot Long. Elliot also did the theme song to this, so if you like him, so check him out. But anyway, thanks again for listening. I'll be back next week with. Um, I said this last week, and I'll say it again. I'll be back next week with an even better, even better film. All right, thanks. Mm-hmm.